About 20 years ago, a baby girl was born in China. As many of you know, unfortunately, in China, baby girls are not as highly valued in many homes as they are here in, in other countries. And because of the, the one-child policy that existed there, uh, the parents felt like they had no other option, and they made a horrible choice. They decided to leave this little baby for someone to hopefully find. Little baby was left in a gym bag at the dock at the ocean. Mom walks away and doesn't know what happens to her child. Somebody came along, found this baby, uh, found this bag, found a baby in the bag, and realized what had happened and took it to somewhere, uh, to an orphanage, where this little baby girl started to grow up. Uh, the only parents she knew were the people who lived and worked in the orphanage. A few years into her, her young life, when she was about three years old, an American family from, from Minnesota flew over to China because they wanted to adopt a baby, a young girl, a child. So they go to this orphanage. They look through the different kids, and they meet her. And they decide, for whatever reason, that she's the one. And she became adopted by this family. It's hard to just put into words how different her life changed in that moment. When she was like in an orphan state and then adopted into this family. Not only was she adopted into a nice family that wasn't going to beat her up, that wasn't going to abuse her. She was adopted into a family that was very, very wealthy. Extremely wealthy. I could tell you the details. Very, very wealthy. But what's far better than that is she was adopted into a wonderful Christian and even Seventh-day Adventist family. And because my, friends were, my parents were friends with her parents, I got to know this little girl. Got to meet her when she first came to the United States. I got to, to see her grow up and accept Jesus and accept these values and be raised in this wonderful family. One year she got to go back and visit the orphanage where she grew up. She got to think about what her life could have been and what her life is now because of who adopted her. And it makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes, uh, who your parents are. The good news is, no matter what your upbringing has been like, we too, all individually, have the opportunity to be adopted by somebody who's really nice, extremely rich, and loves us with an everlasting love. Amen. Today, as we get into the gospel uh, or the, the epistle of 1 John, we're turning now to the end of chapter 2 and getting into chapter 3, where John takes a moment just to reflect upon the fact, the wonderful fact, that we can be children of God, that we are adopted into the family of God, and everything that goes along with that. Far better than my friend's experience. And it's an experience that each one of us can have, no matter what our life has been like here on this earth. 
1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. He says, And now, little children, and now, people of the faith, abide in Him. Reading from the New King James Version this morning. Abide in Him. We saw the word abide multiple times in our last study, didn't we? Abide, 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 abide. Remain in Him. And now remain in Him. Abide in Him. That when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. In other words, Jesus is coming back someday. And when you see Him, there's only going to be one of two responses. Either you're going to be filled with joy, you're going to be confident in Him, or you're going to be filled with shame and dread and sorrow. End of Revelation chapter 6 describes those people who they look up and they see Jesus and they say, uh-oh. And He's too glorious for them to even look at. They just want to go and hide. Isaiah 25 verse 9 describes another group of people who've been abiding in God, and so when they look up, the passage says, Behold, this is our God. He will save us. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. So there's only two responses, and John tells us, the author tells us, that if we abide in Him, if we stay connected to Him, when He comes back, we're not going to be ashamed. Maybe you've experienced this growing up or, or, or in your life. Maybe as a kid, you were doing something you knew you weren't supposed to be doing, and then all of a sudden your mom or dad comes home. And even though maybe they don't even realize what you've done yet, all of a sudden you feel ashamed. You are filled with dread. That's not an experience that, that God wants us to have with Him. Because the funny thing is, when your parent walked in the door, they were the same parent who left the house loving you and walked in the house loving you. They didn't change at all, but because of your choices, your attitude and relationship to them changed. A lot of people are afraid of God, not because God is someone that we need to be afraid of in, the, in that sense, but because they have not gotten to know Him for who He is, because they have separated themselves from Him when they see Him they're afraid. So John says, abide. Stay connected. And when he comes back, you won't have feelings of regret, feelings of shame, but you can have confidence because of who you know. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, well, if you know God, you know he's righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. We've talked about some of these heresies that John was dealing with in his day. People who were saying all sorts of things opposite the truth. And apparently there were groups of people who were saying that they could be righteous, that they were righteous, even though they were continuing to live in sin. That's not how it works, John says. If you do right, then you're righteous. If you do right, that's what makes you righteous. And how do the people who do righteousness do it? Well, they do it because they're born of Him. You know, it's, it's possible to live a life apart from God and to be a nice person. Do you know people that don't love God that are nice? Just because you're an atheist or agnostic or Buddhist or whatever 
That doesn't mean you're automatically going to be a mean person. Now, I find that I need Jesus to, to make me a nice person. Probably you, you, you've experienced the same thing yourself. But there are a lot of nice people in our world. But you can't be righteous without God. You can't have that spirit of right doing all throughout your life unless you're born of God. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You gotta be born again. Born of water, symbolized by baptism, and born of the Spirit, which gives meaning to the baptism. Marcy's getting baptized next, next, next week. I hope you're gonna be here for it. It's gonna be really, really good. Janelle's gonna be baptized in a couple of weeks. And uh, the Gates Trio were baptized a few weeks ago. So we got to be born of God. And if we're born of Him, that's the only way that we can be righteous. That's the only way that we can have confidence when He appears. And then He gets to chapter 3 in verse 1. And John, it's like He just takes a little break to think about how awesome and how good our God is. And He says, Behold, look at it, folks. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Why? That we should be called the children of God. You recall in the Gospel of John, it says, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. Not everybody's a child of God, but if you receive Him, you're adopted. You know, when, when my friend was adopted, she didn't really get to pick. It was the, the people who looked around and said, that's the one. The people got to pick. But the cool thing is, anybody who wants to be adopted by God can be. We get to pick. And nobody will be denied. And they're not exorbitant fees that God charges, or that God has to pay, except that he paid everything to make it possible. So I guess, I guess he paid it all. So John says, it's just so amazing that we can be children of God. Behold what manner of love. It's like he, he, he just doesn't have the words. He's at a loss for words. You know, I had a hard time preparing this sermon this week for multiple reasons. But one of them is just that this concept is so powerful. How could I ever do justice to it? Whatever I say is going to, to make God's love look not nearly as good as it is. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to read some, some quotes to you. I, I don't do this too often, but these are some things that I've gleaned in some of my devotion time in some of the books I've been reading about God's love. This is from God's Amazing Grace. The gift of God to man is beyond all computation. Nothing was withheld. God would not permit it to be said that he could have done more or revealed to humanity a greater measure of love. In the gift of Christ, he gave all heaven. God held nothing back because he wanted us to know just how full his love was. What about this from the ministry of healing? Not because we first loved him did Christ love us, but while we were still sinners, he died for us. He does not treat us according to what we deserve. Although our sins have merited condemnation, he does not condemn us. Year after year, he is born with our weakness and ignorance. 
with our ingratitude and waywardness, notwithstanding our wanderings, our hardness of heart, our neglect of his holy word, his hand is stretched out still. He knows who you are. He knows how stubborn I am. But he's still holding out his hand because he loves us with an everlasting love. Man, I could have put a lot in here. Let me share a couple more. Jesus cares for each one as though there were not another individual on the face of this earth. The connection of love and relationship that he wants to have with every one of us in this church is as distinct as if we're the only person that we're living on the planet. That's powerful. That's powerful. One more for you for the moment. In the contemplation of Christ, we linger on the shore of a love that is measureless. We endeavor to tell of this love and language fails us. He's saying, or she's saying, we're standing on the shore of a big ocean and the ocean is just all love. And we can't even see the other side because it's so far, it's so deep, it's so broad. And we try and tell about the love, but we're speechless. So John just said, look at it. Behold, what kind of love is this? That we can be called the sons and daughters, the children of God. I saved my favorite quote for later. You're going to have to wait for my favorite one. But do you get the idea? Are you starting to get the idea? Even in heaven, we won't understand just how awesome God's love is. But we've been given this opportunity to be called children of God. And when we're adopted by God, it starts to do things in our life. It changes how we relate to sin. It changes how we relate to Uh, the things in this world. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. The world doesn't understand this kind of relationship, this kind of love. They didn't understand it when Jesus was here, and they don't understand it when it's manifested in our lives. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we shall know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as he is. In other words, boy, we're going to be changed when we get those new bodies. We're going to be changed when we get to experience the joys of heaven, but we don't fully understand it. We don't fully grasp what that's going to be like, but one day we're going to see him face to face, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to get to be like him and with him. Verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him, in God, purifies himself just as he is pure. When the hope and the joy and the reality of the future life of glory is in our hearts, it should make us want to evaluate how we're living, right? Because Jesus is coming again, because he has a world of of pleasure and of peace and joy and fellowship with him, it says that we purify ourselves through him just as he is pure. It makes a difference in our life knowing that we, our destination is heaven, knowing that we have this relationship that we've been adopted by him. 
and his, his love is just so powerful. And so that love prompts a response in our, in our hearts. And that's where we get into verses 4 through 9, which sometimes are a little challenging and a little hard to understand. But we're going to look just at the big picture here real briefly. Look at verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So if we find ourselves falling into sin, uh, we're breaking the law. People talk about God's law being done away with. Well, if God's law is done away with, then there's no more sin. And is there sin in our world? It's obviously sin in our world, so there's obviously a need for law still. It's not the only definition of sin, though. Uh, to him who knows to do good in, in uh, James 4 and does not do it, it's sin, God says. Romans 14.23, whatever is without faith is sin. All wrongdoing later on in this letter, it says in chapter 5, is sin. In Proverbs 24, verse 9, the schemes of folly are sin. A lot of different definitions of sin. But here we see very clearly, if you're doing something that's breaking God's law, the Bible calls it sin. And the big issue that John is about to present here is if you love being loved by God and love being in the presence of God, why would you ever want to break the law of God? Why would you ever want to leave that cocoon of love and safety? Verse 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus came down because we have a sin problem. He came down to take it away. And praise God, he never sinned, because if he sinned, it would be over for us. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin, and whoever sins neither has seen him nor known him. I don't know about you, but when I read those words, I was, I'm like, whoa, that's, that's kind of intense, huh? But what we know from just reading John's gospel is he's already said, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar, Right? So there are different ways to interpret this, this passage, but the big idea, again, is if you love God and you want to stay connected to God, you're not going to want to go out and continue to make the same mistakes. You're, you're going to fall down, John says, but when you do, you want to get back up because you want to get reconnected to Jesus. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the very beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. If we sin, it's not because of God, it's because, ultimately, of, of Satan. And ultimately, we can only have one of two adopted parents. We can have God as our adopted father or we can have the devil as our adopted father. Right? And we get to choose. And if we stick with our adopted father, the devil, we're going to act like the devil. And we're going to do the things the devil likes to do. Namely, sin. Right? But if we say, no, that's not the choice I want to make. God, I want to abide in you. I want you to be my father. Then we're going to start learning and growing and being able to abide in him more and more and more 
and will be more like our father God and less like our other father, the devil. Is that making sense? And Jesus came down to solve this problem, to fix this problem. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. Some say the Holy Spirit. Some say it's the Word of God. Some say it's, it's the new heart. In any case, it could be all, all three of those. But God plants something in our life if we've been born of him. Something that grows. A seed starts out small, and it gets bigger. I don't know how, how your experience has been as a Christian, but generally... It's not that you give your life to God once and instantly you overcome every single aspect of your life. If that's been your experience, I want to talk to you because I have a lot to learn from you. But if you're like me, it's, it's like a seed that's planted in your heart. And I want that seed to grow and grow and grow and take up all the room in my heart so there's no room for the old things. Amen? His seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. What's the big picture? The big picture is that being in an abiding relationship with God is supposed to be such a wonderful thing that we're not going to want to leave it. When we realize how much we've been loved and how much we're being loved, why would we want to leave the comfort of that relationship to go out to the old things? Why would we want to go back to our old father? Have you been camping before? One of the worst things about camping is when you get into your sleeping bag at night, you're in your sleeping bag, and then you realize you forgot to get something, or in the middle of the night you realize, I need to use a restroom. Especially if you have one of those mummy bags. You're just totally cocooned lying there and you're thinking, oh, it's so cold out there. Oh, it's, it's just so warm and comfy in here. and I don't want to leave, right? Have you experienced that? Or maybe it just happens in your bed at nighttime. Even in, in your bed. Oh, forgot to take my dentures out. Oh, my mouth guard. Oh. You know, I'm not saying that, that every single moment of our Christian experience will be filled with the same level of joy and wonder and love and appreciation. But you can kind of think of abiding in God kind of like being safe in your bed, protected, secure, comfy, loved, so, so if you're in that relationship with him and it's good and, and we know how much we're loved by God, why would we want to go out and hang out with the devil that we know doesn't love us? Like, why would we leave that? A lot of times marriages get into trouble and, and because of that trouble it leads to, to looking for, for love in other places. But if the love was always there, it makes it a whole lot stronger of a relationship and a whole lot less likely that love is going to be sought somewhere else. So the big picture here 
is not so much the focus on sin, but to me the big picture is, have you found how much God loves you? And have you started to enjoy that connection with him? Because if you have, then the world and the sins of the world are going to seem cold and dark, and they're going to start to be exposed for what they really are. Is this making sense? You know, I listened to a powerful sermon by Yolanda's husband. Uh, we got to find, find it somewhere called Loved into Victory. Uh, her husband, uh, retired pastor now, right? Or, no, he's still going. Praise God. And, and he, he's, he preaches on this much better than I can. But I remember listening to a sermon one time by, by uh, Dale Lehman, and it was called Loved into Victory. Maybe we can find it and, and make it available somehow. But he was talking about how for years and years and years, he knew that God loved him. He, he was more convinced of that than anything else in the world. But when it came to feeling God's love, that was a totally different thing. And as I heard that, I just identified totally. I don't know if it's just a guy thing. I think it's probably more than just us guys who experience that. But we're convinced of it. Yeah, Jesus loves me. I know it. I've sung it ever since I was a little kid. But am I opening myself up emotionally to experience that love and to love being loved by God? And when that when I really clicked in my mind, I remember just breaking down crying as I started to open myself up, my heart, to experience God emotionally. I think we're a little afraid as Adventists of experiencing God emotionally because we see the opposite side of the spectrum where you go too far and then everything's emotion-based and then, you know, but there has to be a balance, right? If we're only logical Christians, we're missing out on half of what God wants to do for us. So as we open up our hearts and we say, God, as I read the Bible today, as I pray to you today, I want to make myself emotionally available to you to experience you loving me. Not for what I've done, but simply because of who you are and how much you love me. And when we do that, and the more we learn to practice that, the less we're going to want to leave that experience. The less we're going to want to leave the warmth and the comfort of God's love and his security to go seek love elsewhere. I told you I saved some of my favorite quotes, for, my favorite quote for last. I want to share with you two and then, and then my favorite here. The love of God cherished in the heart and revealed in the words and acts will do more to elevate and ennoble human beings than all else can. We need to spend time every day. Aren't we counseled to... It would be well for you to spend a thoughtful hour each day going over the life and the last scenes of Christ's life because we'll be realizing more and more just how much we're loved. We need to be daily strengthened by the deep what? Love of God. We need to be strengthened. We can get strength from knowing how much we're loved. Strength that gives us the power 
to abide, to stay connected. Before my favorite quote, I want to show you just a brief video clip about a dog. For those of you that love dogs, a little pet that didn't have love, but found it when it was adopted. Notice its response in the beginning, trying to be petted. Yeah, lashing out. Just a little love changed that dog's life completely. Do you think we too can be transformed by God's love? At first afraid of him, at first lashing out in anger against him. But as we experience and open ourselves up to God's love, he can totally transform our hearts. Okay. Now what I've been promising you. This is long, but if you hang with me, it's going to be worth it, okay? When we seek for appropriate language in which to describe the love of God, we find words too tame, too weak, too far beneath the theme, and we lay down our pen and say, no, it cannot be described. We can only do as did the beloved disciple and say, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God in attempting any description of this love, we feel that we are as infants lisping their first words. Silently we may adore, for silence in this matter is the only eloquence. This love is past all language to describe. All paternal love which has come down from generation to generation through the channel of human hearts, all the springs of tenderness which have opened in the souls of men are but as a tiny rill, a tiny little stream, to the boundless ocean when compared with the infinite, exhaustless love of God. Basically, all love of all parents in all generations is nothing compared to what God has. Tongue cannot utter it. Pen cannot portray it. You may meditate upon it for every day in your life. You may search the scriptures diligently in order to understand it. You may summon every power and capability that God has given you in the endeavor to comprehend the love and compassion of the Heavenly Father. And yet, there is infinity beyond. You'll study it for your entire life, for forever, and you'll still only be scratching the surface of God's love for us. 
You may study that love for ages, yet you can never fully comprehend the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God in giving his son to die for the world. Eternity itself can never fully reveal it. Yet, as we study the Bible and meditate upon the life of Christ and the plan of redemption, these great themes will open to our understanding more and more. Do you want to get to know that love better? You'll never exhaust it. You'll never fully understand it, but I want to get to know it better because I want my heart to be transformed by that love. How about you? How do we do it? Well, it starts with a simple choice, a choice to seek it out more. If you're already spending time with Jesus on a daily basis, be more intentional. Say, God, I'm here as I'm reading your word. I want to not only know about you, but I want to experience your love for me. I want to know you with my heart. If you haven't started a journey with God in the Bible or in devotions at all, the invitation today is to start. Just do something. Start small. Take five minutes out of your day, every single day. If you want suggestions, talk to me. I'll give you some some suggestions. Uh, But start seeking that love more. Commit to abiding in Jesus, and less and less will the things of this world appeal to us. As the song says, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonder and grace, wonderful face, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May this be true in my life and in your life too. Let's pray. Dear Father, we've talked a lot about your love this morning, but we've only scratched the surface. I pray that we will will take this message and apply it in our own lives. Maybe some of us have known that you love us. Maybe some of us have, have even doubted that that could be true. But I pray that we today and each day this week, from here on out, will... We'll spend time with you each day seeking after you, wanting to better understand your love, not only knowing it in our minds, but feeling it in our hearts. Thank you for your wonderful love. And we love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a happy Sabbath and go in God's love.